Everyone, I think, is familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. How he took the time to stop and to help someone who was in dire need. The man had been beaten, stripped of his clothing, and left for half dead. We see there are two individuals that passed by and left him there, but the Samaritan stopped and offered help. And I think many times we want to stop and help. And I want us to realize that there are times that we stop and we need to be careful, certainly because for our own safety, but we also realize that there are laws that have been put in place to protect the Good Samaritan, the person that stops and helps. Because we realize that there is a risk that's involved. When you help someone, you may hurt them. And so we want to be very careful this morning as we talk about what we're talking about because I want us to realize that there are things that we can do sometimes that hurt the situation, that makes it worse. And I'm talking about some of the things that we may involve ourselves with. And you may or may not agree with what I'm going to say today, but it's something I hope that you will think about when you're trying to help someone. Because I think all of us want to be helpers. And I think that that's the first step that we need to consider this morning. We want to determine to be a helper. We look at, at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, and we see there that Jesus went about doing good. And we see in Jesus' life where He healed those that were lame and sick and blind. He did all kinds of good things to help people. And He shared the good news of the Gospel with people. And sometimes they rejected Him. Sometimes they didn't listen. But He continued to go on about doing good. And brethren, that's what I want to encourage us to do. That there may be times that we want to help and we stop and help and we may be rejected for the good that we're trying to do. Don't stop doing good. Keep on doing it. Because Jesus is our example and we can see the love that He had for individuals. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, we find there that we, that we are, let us do good to all men. That's everyone. Not just those that we know, but to all people. And then it goes on, especially those in the household of faith. And so Paul is telling us in that passage of Scripture that it's important that we do good, that we help people that are in need, especially our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we see someone outside of the Christ, they need our help too, and it may give us an opportunity to share the good news with them. And then we see in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 where it tells us there that we're to bear one another's burdens. It says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, there we see that Jesus wants us to help each other carry the burdens that we have. And life sometimes can be a burden. Sometimes things happen in our lives that make it difficult. And sometimes we need help. And we need to ask for that help. And sometimes we can see that there's a need, just like the Good Samaritan. He didn't wait for that man on the side of the road to say, help me. He saw the need. The other two passed by. We certainly don't want to be those two individuals. We want to be like the Good Samaritan, that when we see a need, that we can help. And certainly in Romans chapter 12, and verse 15, we learn that we're to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those that weep. And I've said many times, I think that it's hard sometimes for us to rejoice with people that are rejoicing because sometimes envy pops its ugly head and we start to be envious because they're doing, they're, they, they've had something good happen in their life. Why can't I have that? Well, sometimes we just need to be happy because other people are happy. 
And then when we, when we see them weep, sometimes we need to just weep with them. That's important. And that's what the Bible is showing us there. There's a time to be joyous and happy, but there's also a time that we're sad. And therefore, we need to be helpers in those situations. And then certainly we see with the Good Samaritan, the example there in Luke chapter 10, verses 36 and 37, where Jesus tells us to go and do likewise. Be like that individual. Be someone that's going to be a helper. But we should not blindly walk by those who are hurting. We see in the story of the Good Samaritan that this man fell among thieves and he was hurt very badly. And it was very obvious that he was in need. And there are times in our society where we see people that are hurting. And we see people just walk by. I see it repeatedly on the news in some of the big cities where somebody comes up behind somebody and clobbers them and people just walk by. They don't stop. They don't intervene. They don't try to help the individual. In fact, you may have heard a, a reporter from uh, Fox News, uh, uh, well, a weatherman from Fox News, who was riding the subway and some group of teenagers sat an elderly man's hair on fire and he, stopped, he, he intervened to stop them from assaulting the elder, elderly man. And it turned out that they all turned on him and assaulted him and he had black eyes to show it. But he said he couldn't just stand there and do nothing. And sometimes people don't want to get involved because of fear, because they hear stories like that and they say, well, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to get beat up, and so I'm not going to get involved. Sometimes people may not want to help because of the cost. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. It may take a lot of effort to help that individual, and I just don't have time. There may be the fear of having to get involved. You may be called into court as a witness to say what you saw. You don't want to do that, and so you just... Kind of go on your way. And maybe you have some other excuse. But really, when we see somebody that's in need, should we just pass on by? The question that I want to ask this morning is, how do I help the one who is hurting? What can I do? How can I help? And I need to ask myself this question, is what I'm doing going to help the situation or is it going to hurt the situation? And I think that we need to be honest with ourselves when we are sharing the Gospel with someone because that's the first place we're going to go here this morning. In our lesson. When we share the Gospel with someone, what do we want to do? How to help that person to see what they need to see? I think one of the most important things in our lives that we can remember when we're helping someone is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 30 when He said, Go and do likewise. But He also wants us to remember to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Put yourself in that hurting person's situation. Put yourself in that position and ask yourself, how would you want to be treated? How would you want someone to respond to your hurt? And then go do likewise. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And so when we look at some of the things that the Bible teaches us, and when we realize in society that we can help people, one of the things that we do need to understand is we don't want to apply too much pressure. 
There may be times where you know someone is injured and you can apply too much pressure and do more damage to the tissue or to the body than is needed. And so you want to be careful in those situations. But there are times when we want to share the gospel with someone, and when that per- and it's a person that we love, and we have a genuine concern for their soul. We want them to be saved. We want them to be in heaven. We want them to have what we have—that peace that passes all understanding, that joy that we should have from salvation. We want them to have that also. But sometimes they don't have that same desire. They don't want to hear the gospel. They're not interested in hearing what God has to say. They don't want to know about His Word. And you've tried and maybe they got angry with you. You know, I've talked to people that sometimes they get angry. Then I always try to examine the situation to make sure it's not just me because sometimes, guess what? The Bible says certain things and people get angry about that. And it's okay for them to get angry at the Bible, but how did I present it? And that's important. And sometimes they may get angry. They may respond to us rudely. They may laugh at us. They may ridicule us. They may stand off to the side and talk to their friends and you know they're talking about you. What should you do when that happens? How do you respond? You don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day who were just trying to convert people and making them in worse condition than they were to begin with. The goal should always be to win souls for Christ. And the goal should not be to just win an argument at all costs. It doesn't matter the damage that we do in the process. We won the battle. That's all that matters. No, that should not be our attitude. You see, it's not about you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-3 through tells us, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What's Paul saying here? That if I don't have love, if that's not the motivating factor, then I'm wasting my time. So when I take the Gospel to someone that I care a great deal about, I need to be motivated by love for them. That I love them. I have a concern for their soul. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What's Jesus telling us? He's telling us that when we take the Gospel to someone, that we need to go out clothed with grace and mercy, kindness and humility. That's kind of like a dove. But we also need to have wisdom and truth and integrity like a serpent. We need to be able to discern the situation. And not just blindly go and say what we want to say and not get any feedback and understand and try to help the situation. And sometimes we do more damage because it's all about me as opposed to trying to make it about them. There are those who do not want to hear 
about the Word of God. They do not want to hear that soul-saving message of the Gospel. And you know what? Jesus says that's okay. That's okay. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? But that's what He says. That's okay. In fact, He tells us that there's a point where you're rejected, you shake the dust off your feet, and you move on. In other words, there's other people out there that may want to hear it, and while you're tangled up with this individual who does not want to hear it, and you're going to try to make them understand it and accept it, there's other people out here that are willing to listen. They want to hear it. And you're not going to make any headway with this individual, so you move on. Think about the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus. He came to the right person. He had the right questions. He'd been a good person, but Jesus said, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow Me. And the Bible said He went away sorrowful. Did Jesus chase after Him and say, hey, 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 come back here. Let me tell you why I said you need to sell your possessions. No. Jesus said, that's okay. Let Him go. In John chapter 6 and verse 66, when Jesus started talking about the doctrine, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in another example, but I just want to point out that when He talked about the doctrine that He is the bread of life, that He's the bread that's come down from heaven, there were some people that didn't like that. They were offended at what He said, and they decided no more to follow Him. They were disciples. You see, there were other disciples besides just the twelve. There was others that followed Him, and when they heard that, they were offended and they stopped following Him. Did Jesus chase after them and say, hey, wait a minute, let me, let me change it a little bit. No. Jesus said, that's okay. That's okay. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? He didn't chase them. And notice He didn't change His doctrine to get them to follow Him. He didn't compromise. The truth is the truth. And we need to present the truth to people. And if they reject it, so be it. Now, if the way you present it can be changed to make it more favorable, sound better, then do what you can do. But when they reject the truth of God's Word, that's okay. Do you think Jesus knew the consequences for rejecting what He had to say? I think He did. And still, He didn't go chasing them. It was okay. We cannot compromise the truth in order to try and win someone to Christ. In 2 John verse 9, it says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. When we compromise the truth, we no longer abide in Christ. We have to remain in that truth. We have to present the truth. And yeah, we have friends that reject it. We have family that reject it. We know people that just reject it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. 
So what did Jesus do? When He ran into situations like that, He continued to do good. But what do we do in the meantime? What if you have to be around that individual? What if you work with that individual? Maybe you see them every day. What if it's a member of your family and you see them and you live with them every day? What do you do? Well, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now what does He mean by that? Let your light so shine. Let your light shine. Just live the Christian life and you be that beacon of hope. You be that light that draws them hopefully to Christ. Now I know and you know that a light can be very annoying. I could take a flashlight and I can use it for something good, but I can also annoy you to death. You know, shining it in your eye and all, you know, whittling it all over the place. That could be very annoying. And that's not what Jesus is wanting us to do with our Christian life, to be annoying to someone else. Now, if you're living like you're supposed to, I know that there are some people that get annoyed by that. But he's saying, go ahead and live your life, be that light. That you're supposed to be in Ephesians chapter four, verse verse uh, thirty-two. He tells us there, "Be kind one to another." You say, "Well, that's the, he's writing that to the church." Yeah, he's writing that to the church. But do you think that he's saying, "You be kind to every church member, but everybody out there, <laughs> treat them off." You be mean, nasty to them. No, I think he's telling us to be kind to everyone. And so, as you live your everyday life as a Christian around those individuals. You be kind. Be kind to them. John chapter 14 and verse 34. The new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, and ye also love one another. We're to love one another. We're to love that individual. And you know, that's more than just saying those words because our actions speak louder than words. Jesus says love, and we see that in His life where there were people that he loved and cared about. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. What if they don't like me because of what I've said or what I stand for? Well, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 tells us to love our enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's hard, isn't it? Especially if someone's making fun of you, saying things about you, talking about you behind your back over there with all their friends and they're looking at you and you know they're talking about you. That's hard. But that's what makes us different. That's what makes us that light. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 20, you probably like what it says there on the board. He calls a fire on their head. Well, it says in that verse, therefore if thy enemy hungry, or hunger... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You see, sometimes when we're doing good and they're doing evil, they're expecting evil in return. And when you return good for evil, it's like what? A, it's like you've dumped a hot a bucket of coals over their head because they're expecting something else, and you're being the example that the Lord wants you to be. You see, it's not just enough to win the battle and to show them the truth. They need to see the truth living in you. 
And of course, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul told Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity in spirit and faith and in purity. So be an example. You know, that's not just young people. Even though it's important for young people to realize your life is very important to people that see how you live. And you can make a great impression on people just by being a faithful child of God. But that message is for all of us, really. We all should be an example. You see, the person that you're dealing with may not want to hear what the Bible has to say. But you have the power to live the Bible in your life. And they cannot ignore that. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So leave the door open. Always be kind. Always be what you should be. And hopefully they see that there's something different about you. Why do you have this peace? Why do you have this joy when the world's falling apart? And maybe they'll wake up. And they'll ask you questions. And Peter tells us to be ready always to give an answer to any man that asketh for a reason concerning the hope that is in you. So just live the life even when there's people that oppose you or disagree with you or hate you or despise you, live the Christian life. That can make a difference. The hope is that what they see in your life will make an impression on them. And here's my point. We can help that person that is lost by helping them to see an example of a Christian. Or we can be annoying and push that person further away and hurt that person. We don't want that to happen. My second point is I want to address sometimes make us uncomfortable as Christians. And that's when to help someone that's in need. And when not to help somebody that's in need. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, I will show you all things how that by laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus tells us, and I think most of us understand what he means when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive, because guess what? If you have it and you can share it with someone else, that means you're well blessed. Sometimes we have that attitude, it's all mine, and I don't want to share it. But Jesus tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? In other words, you see, visibly see someone that has a physical need and you just ignore it and you just say, be warm and filled, it'll be okay. And you do nothing. What does that say about what we believe a Christian should be? 
In Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, we can see on that occasion where obviously there were some in, that had obeyed the Gospel in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. As the Bible says, there was about 3,000. Some of them, I'm sure, lingered in the city to find out more news about what this way was, what this new plan was. And there, was, there arose a need. People needed food. They needed shelter. They needed different things. And the Bible tells us there in chapter 4, and it goes on into chapter 5, that people were selling their possessions. They sold land. They did things to, to take the money and to distribute as people had a need. And so they shared those things that they had because they visibly could see that someone had a need. But there are times when it's hard to see a physical need. In Jesus' day, when there was a beggar, most of the time those beggars were there because they had some disability. They were blind, they were lame, they couldn't, you know, they were crippled up in some way. There was something wrong. And you could see those things. Perhaps you could see the person that, or the group of people that brought them and laid them at the entrance of the city. And so they knew that they were in that condition. And that's all they had. That's the only way that they could get by was to beg. There are times today when we're confronted by people who are asking for money and we're not sure of their need. I've been approached in parking lots. I've been approached going into a store or coming out of a store. I've been approached as we at intersections. I mean, I think we see people every day in those situations. And sometimes it may be a stranger. It may be a person that you know. It may be someone that needs help. And it may be someone who's just taken advantage of the situation. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is when we give money to someone, are we really helping or are we hurting? One of the things I think we need to realize is we don't want to be an enabler. If you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 6. I said I was going to go back uh, to John chapter 6 earlier, and here we are, John chapter 6. Uh, we find that there was a large crowd of people who had followed Jesus because He had healed those that had diseases, and so they were following. And there was a large group of people that had congregated following Jesus. And you read a little further into that chapter, and you can find where it was time that they needed food because obviously you're not going to last too long without food. And so Jesus asked, was there food? You know, what, what, what have we got to, to get food with? And it's on that occasion that the lad that had the two fish and the five loaves were brought forward. And Jesus... In verse 15, when Jesus had perceived that they, that they would... Or wait a minute, verse 10. And when Jesus said, Make the men sit down, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people sitting around or following you around. And that doesn't include women and children. That's just men, it says. And so Jesus performed a miracle and fed that 5,000 plus with those five loaves and two fish. 
And then down in verse 15 it says, And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again unto the mountain Himself alone. He got away. Because they had seen that He could do this miracle. He could produce food. Now how do we know that? How do we know that that's what they were doing? Well, look at verse 26 and 27. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek Me not because ye saw the miracle, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto the everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for Him hath God the Father sealed. Jesus is starting to turn it around now. It's not the physical food that you need. You need something else. But they were following Jesus because of what He could perform, what He could do. Verse 30 and 31 of that same chapter, they said therefore unto Him, What signs showest Thou then that we may see and believe Thee? Now, stop right there for a minute. He just fed 5,000. What more do you need to show that He is the Son of God, that He is what He claims to be? But what sign showest Thou then that we may see and believe Thee? What dost Thou work? Our Father did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 41, The Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. It wasn't food that they were going to... Jesus is saying... I'm that bread. I'm what's been sitting down. I'm what's what you need. And this is what you need to listen to. And in verse 41, And the Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And then verse 66, And from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Here we find a group of people that wanted Jesus because of what He could give them and what He did give them on that occasion. And so they were going to make Him the King. And it seems that they were more concerned about physical food than they were about the spiritual food that Jesus had to offer. And then when He started to present the, the, the spiritual food, guess what? They didn't want to follow Him anymore. And that's really what happens sometimes today. People have a need. They want something. And when you offer it to them and you want to talk to them about God or you want to invite them to the services, they don't want to hear that. They just want what you've got. And so sometimes you get involved and you find out the situation. And you realize you can't help because they're going to use it for the wrong thing. There's been times people give them money. They took the money and they walked right across the street and did a drug deal. Or they take the money and go into the liquor store. Well, I don't know what they're buying in there because I don't follow them in there. And so we don't give money. We may t- I've taken people and bought gas for them. I've bought food for them. And many of us have done those things. So I'm no special person. I'm just pointing out that there are things that we can do and there are times that we may hurt other people by just giving money. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, 
For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Don't allow people to escape their God-given responsibility. Some of us know individuals that we've helped in the past. And we've told them and tried to help them and show them and do all that we can to get them on the right track. They reject that. Do you continue to throw money at them when they won't make the right decisions? Don't say they don't know how because I know for a fact that we've helped and tried to show and help them get into those positions to do better. Sometimes people don't want to get better. God puts us, gives us responsibilities. And even in the garden, when He placed Adam in the garden, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, And the Lord, took God, or, or the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. So there may be times that we say no to helping because a person needs to make changes. I'm not talking about individuals that are uh, have mental issues. I'm talking about people that are in their right mind and everything seems normal. They just made the choices that they've made. But there may be times that we have to say no to helping because that person needs to make changes in their life and they need to be encouraged to make those changes. And maybe that's where we help. By showing by helping him, by sacrificing our time and our efforts to help those individuals. Because they're not living up to the responsibilities to themselves, to their families, and to others. In First Timothy chapter five and verse eight, it says, If any man provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. As a Christian, I have a responsibility to be the leader of my home, my house, my family, provide for them. And if I don't want to live up to that responsibility, then I need to be corrected. I need to be taught. And you say, well, maybe they don't know how. Well, that's where you can step in. Maybe you can help them to see what they need to see. And so there's times that we may not be able to help because we're not really helping the situation. We're hurting that person. And we may be hurting the people that are associated with that person also. I've had calls from people after we've helped someone and they've gotten on the straight and narrow path or you know, a better life I've had calls from parents that say, thank you for helping. We stopped helping because they would not listen. And sometimes there's people that are trying to help others. It's family and friends. They don't want to listen. And maybe coming from someone else, it helps. So we're that person. But just throwing money at it isn't always the answer. It may make us feel good. But sometimes we have to say no. 
So there's another situation that sometimes we're uncomfortable with. But I think that it's a biblical stand. Because we're trying to help, not hurt. And my final point this morning is helping those with emotional issues. People may be hurting sometimes because they've lost a loved one. They've been diagnosed with something that may take their life. Maybe their marriage has fallen apart. Maybe their family's fallen apart. There's a lot of issues out there that people have to deal with. And the question that is, how do I help the one who's hurting in those areas? What can I do? How can I help? And I need to ask myself this question. Is what I'm doing going to help? Or is it going to hurt? Again, I encourage you to put yourself in that situation. It's easy when we see someone physically hurt, you know, broken bone, bleeding, whatever. We, it's easy to see the need, but when it's an emotional issue, sometimes that's very hard to deal with. And so sometimes we just shy away. But there are times that we get involved. And the point I want to make this morning is we don't want to apply too much pressure. Over the years, I've heard things that kind of make me cringe when someone's dealing with someone. You hear things like, well, you can't change it now. Well, that sounds very insensitive if you ask me. It may be true, yeah, you can't change it. But do you have to say those things? Oh, it could be worse. Yeah, it could be. I always wondered, you know, when you say that, it could be worse. Well, you say that to that person, they say to the next person, you say to the next person, next person. do you really want to be that last person out there? Because down there at the end, don't get no worse than this. This is as bad as it gets. You just need to move on. I've heard that said about someone who lost a loved one. And I thought, who are you to say that? You just need to move on. Maybe they've been married 50 years. That person's a part of their life. It's like their right arm or left arm, whatever. It's a part of them. And you're going to say, just move on. And there may be times in life we need to be encouraged to move on. But when that person is going through that, they don't need to hear those words. Just move on. Everything happens for a reason. It's God's will. I'll never forget when I went to a man's house that I did not know. I've told this before. 14-year-old son had taken his life. And somebody had told him that that was God's will. I said, that's not God's will. Everything that happens in life is not God's will. A person that gets drunk and goes out and he hits a car and he kills a, wife, a mother of five children, is that God's will? God's not going to intervene and lift that person out and take it out of that, that, that danger. No, He's not going to do that. He allows it to happen, but did he? is that His will? Is that what He wanted to happen? No, it's not. 
if only you had done this or done that. Or, this is what I would do if I were you. I'd venture to say that some of those comments that you hear have already gone through the individuals that's going through the, the, the difficulties that they're going through. They've already thought of those things. So put yourself in their place and ask yourself, what would you want someone to say? You know, I, I, I can only refer to myself. By my own experience, I've had cancer. And so I know and I tell people, you know, from my own experience that it's okay to be mad. Because sometimes you you come into people come up with people that why are you so mad? Well, sometimes they're mad just because their life's been turned upside down. You hear that word cancer, and I don't know about anybody in this room, but I know with myself when I heard that word, it was like, wow, your life could be over. And you say, well, what are your odds? <laughs> well. They said there was about an 86% chance that you would be back. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, that's wonderful for you to look at. But I look at it this way. There's a mailbox across the road. There's 100 people that's going to cross that road. And 16 people out of that 100 is going to get hit by a car and killed. 84% of them are going to make it. But 16% or 16 of them aren't. When you go to cross that road, what are you going to think about? Are you going to think about the 16? Or are you going to think about the 84? I don't know about your mind, but I know what's going to go through my head. And it really doesn't matter how safe you are when you cross the road. You look both ways. You do all that. You still... You might die. So guess what? It's okay to be mad. The Bible says be angry and sin not. You see, sometimes you look at them and you think they're mad at everything. You know, they're mad at God. They're not mad. Maybe they're not mad at God. I've talked to a lot of people and what they're angry about is sometimes they have to tell people what the, what's wrong. And that hurts. Because they see other people that this is affecting and it hurts them. So it's okay to be angry. Because sometimes you need that to move on. But here's what I want to tell us. And I want you to understand is that you can give comfort to people. And think about what you're saying when you're given that comfort. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be God. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us with all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Who better knows how to comfort someone else than those who have gone through what you may be going through? 
When people say, well, I can imagine what it is. Yeah, I really can't imagine. If you've lost a loved one, it's different than somebody else. And you can't say, I understand or I, you know, I get it. You know, uh, I can imagine, I can only imagine what you're going through. No, you can't really imagine it unless you've gone through it. And everybody's different. So comfort doesn't come in the form of removing or trying to fix the problem in some of these situations. It's simply showing your love and your concern and your understanding for that individual. I know it's hard. But sometimes it's good to just be a listener. Sometimes that's what the person that's hurting needs. They need a shoulder to cry on. Someone that they can talk to. Someone that they can confide in. Someone that they can trust. And if you don't know what to say, here's some suggestions. I can't imagine what you're going through. Not I, not, don't say, I can only imagine. Just say, I can't imagine what you're going through. I'm so sorry. Is there anything that I can do to help? Would you like me to come and see you? I always think that that's good to ask before you just barge in. Because I think people need the time. If you need me, I'll be there. And when you, they need you, be there. Don't just say it. Be there. If you want to talk about it, we can. But if you would rather not, that's fine too. And then it's always important to say, you mean a lot to me. You're important. We love you. We care about you. Don't make it about yourself. We've read 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. We see what should motivate us, and that's our love for that individual. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 16. When we make it about ourselves, we get our reward because Jesus tells us, you know, when you're doing something to be seen of men, then you have your reward. So don't run just to be seen. Just don't run just so you can say, well, I went and saw that person. Yeah. Go because you care about that person. You love that person, and you realize they're suffering. And if you're helping just to be seen, then guess what? You have your reward. And again, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Just let your light shine. Don't manipulate people for your own agenda. In other words, don't run over there so you can get the scoop and then run out and share it with everybody else. When I say it's someone that they can trust, when they talk to you, they should be able to trust that you're not going to go tell even your best friend. Keep it confidential. Remember, God works through people. And as it says in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Say the right thing. If you can't think of the right thing to say, don't say anything. Just listen. 
Now, I know the bathrooms are broken. I've gone way over. But hopefully you understand what I'm trying to get at. Because I think there's lots of situations that make us uncomfortable. We want to help. And sometimes what we do hurts the other person. And we don't want to do that. We want to help and be what God wants us to be. To be that beacon of hope. Not only to our friends, but to those that are outside of Christ. We want them to see what God wants us to be. This morning, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died so that you could have that relationship with Him so that you could be called a child of God. You could have the forgiveness of sin. You can be a part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And you can have that home in heaven. And so many other blessings. He died so that we could have all of those things. The question is, do you want those things? Because if you're not a Christian, then you need to be obedient to the Gospel. And that Gospel message is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose victorious over the grave. He died for your sins. And so... We're buried with our Lord in baptism to have those sins washed away. And that's through the simple act of obedience. We do it because that's what He wants us to do. And we love Him and we we want to do those things. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to be baptized into Christ today. Maybe as a Christian you haven't lived as you should. I want to encourage you to get back on the right road. Strive harder than you've ever strove to be what God wants you to be. Be the example. Be the encourager. Be the comforter. Be what God wants us to be. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.